Well, good morning. If you'd open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Before we begin, let's bow before our Lord in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this morning, a thankful people. How thankful we are for your mercy and your grace that you purposed for your people through the obedience and through the sacrifice of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how can we begin to thank you for such depths of mercy and love for wretched sinners such as we are, that you would crucify your own Son? to put away the sin of your people. Father, how we thank you. And Father, I pray this morning that you would enable us to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that his name would be preeminent in everything that we say, and everything that we do, that his name, his person, would be preeminent in every heart and every mind here this morning. Father, I beg of you that you'd show us your glory by revealing your redemptive power, mercy, and grace through the sacrifice of your Son and give us faith to believe. Cause us to run to Christ and hide in Him. Find in Him everything that we need. And Father, what we pray for ourselves in our class this morning, we pray for our children's classes. Father, how we thank you for all these little ones that you've given to us. And Father, we beg your mercy for them. We pray you'd be merciful that you'd watch over and protect them and Father, in your time, you would reveal to them who and what they are and reveal to them the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, for those who are hurting and who are sick, who are in difficult times of trouble and trial, we pray for them. There are many, and we're thankful there's no case too hard for thee. Father, that you'd undertake for your people to deliver, to heal and comfort. And Father, especially that you give a special portion of your presence that you give them grace sufficient for the hour until you're pleased to deliver them. All these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Now in our lesson this morning, we have a very, very important subject, substitution. I titled the lesson, The Gospel of Substitution. Now, this subject of substitution is so vitally important because we cannot understand how it is that men and women are saved unless we understand the truth of substitution. Men and women, sinners, cannot be saved by what we do or what we don't do. Salvation, the putting away of sin, can only be accomplished by the doing and dying of Christ our substitute, that he would take the place of his people and suffer everything that they deserve to set them free from their sin. And substitution is an utterly amazing subject to look at. The Son of God. I mean, this is not just anybody we're talking about here. The Son of God took the place of a sinful people so that He could put away their sin in justice. That He could save them in justice, enable the Father not to condemn them, but to let them go free. Enable Him to be just and justifier of sinners. It's, it's just unbelievable. It, you couldn't believe such a thing would be true unless God revealed it to you and gave you faith to believe it. 
The Lord Jesus Christ, who never sinned, was made sin for His people. So He could become the substitute for His people. So He could justly suffer and die for their sin. Substitution and satisfaction is the very heart of the gospel. If we get a hold of those two, substitution and satisfaction, we'll know how God saves sinners. We'll understand the rest of the gospel. And our text this morning has a very clear picture of that. And the first thing I want us to look at is this. In this matter of substitution, there's got to be a criminal. There's got to be a criminal who deserves to die. Verse 15 of Matthew chapter 27. Now, at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Who will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Now Matthew says that Barabbas was a notable, an infamous criminal. Luke tells us that Barabbas was guilty of insurrection against the government and also guilty of murder. John tells us Barabbas was a robber. And boy, that's a good picture of everybody that God saves. Everybody God saves is a notable sinner. Before God ever saves us, he's going to make us see, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm a notable, notorious criminal. Everybody God saves is guilty of insurrection against the authority of God, against his authority over us. Our desire by nature is still the same as Adam's in the garden. To take God off the throne and put myself there. I don't want God to be God over me. I want to be the one making the rules. I want to be the one in charge here. That's the desire of our natural heart. Insurrection against God's authority. And everybody God saves... Every last one of them is guilty of murder. We're guilty of murdering others. You know, our Lord said to be angry without cause. That's to be guilty of murder. Just to think it in your heart. That's to be guilty. And far worse yet, every one of us, we're guilty of murdering God's Son. It's not just those who were there 2,000 years ago crying crucify and let Him be crucified. It's us. That's the cry of our heart. Crucify Him. Destroy him and give us Barabbas. Let me have my own way and my own will. And everybody God saves is guilty of being a robber. Don't you hate a thief? I mean, I just, oh, I hate a thief. That's what we are. Spiritually, we've tried to rob God of his glory. Every single time we try to earn a righteousness by our own works, every single time we try to make God more happy with us because of what we do or what we don't do instead of resting in Christ alone, every time we do that, we're guilty of trying to rob God of His glory. Now, we don't do it. can't rob God of His glory, but we sure do try, don't we? And you know, when we try to rob God of His glory, I tell you who else we rob. We rob our own selves. We rob our own souls of life and happiness, and peace, and rest when we try to rob God of His glory by establishing our own righteousness. So we we steal from God, and we steal from our own selves. Now look over at Matthew chapter 15. I'll show you another way. Barabbas is a picture of God's people. Matthew chapter 15. 
in verse 7. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. There Barabbas was. He'd been caught. He was laying there bound. He was tied up in ropes or chains or whatever, and he couldn't get out of it. There's no way to escape. He's bound. He's helpless. What you and me? We're bound by sin. We're bound by a sin nature, and we can't escape it. And we can't escape the results of it either. We can't escape death. We're sinners, and we're helpless to do anything about it. We can't stop it. We can't stop sinning. We can't not sin. And Barabbas, there he is. He, he lay laying there bound in the in the dungeon. And Barabbas is so sinful. Other sinful men, and we'll see how sinful all these other men and people are, are, are all around this whole thing of our Lord's crucifixion. But Barabbas is so sinful, other sinful men have decided we can't do anything with this guy. The only thing we can do with this guy is put him to death. Because if we don't, he's going to turn our society into hell. I mean, we just got to get rid of this guy. That's you and me by nature. We deserve to die. We deserve God's wrath and we're so sinful. The only thing God could do with us is put us to death. If He doesn't, we'll turn everywhere we go into hell. We'll turn His creation into hell. Now that's, that's a criminal who deserves to die. And that's a pic, very good picture of you and me by nature. Well, the second thing I want us to see is the substitute. Look back up at verse 12 of Matthew 27. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now here stands the Lord Jesus being judged of this wicked, weak man, Pilate. The Lord Jesus has lived the life of a man in absolute perfection. In thought, in motive, in deed, in word. He's lived a life of perfect holiness. Peter described him as Christ, the lamb without blemish and without spot. He's perfect. John said in him is no sin. There's no taint of sin in him. He has no sin. He wasn't even acquainted with any sin. And these men keep bringing these charges against the Lord Jesus, and he's innocent of every one of those charges. He didn't do one thing they accused him of. And everybody from the accusers to the judge knew it. I mean, it's the elephant in the room, but nobody's talking about it. He is innocent of every charge they're bringing against him. And he always was. The angels knew he's perfect. That angel told Mary when he came to tell her that she is with child, he called our Lord that holy thing that's in you. Judas, the betrayer, he knew the Lord was innocent. He brought back the money and said, gave it, cast it back on the floor to the high priest and said, I betrayed innocent blood. This man is innocent of any sin. The dying thief knew it. Now this tells you how the Holy Ghost had to teach him. That, that dying thief, as far as we know, never even saw the Lord. Before that day, they're both crucified, suffering there on the cross. And that dying thief knew that man on the middle cross is innocent 
He told that other thief, why don't you just shut up? We're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing amiss. He's perfect. The centurion who watched the Lord die knew it. He said, certainly, after he watched the whole scene, and the Lord gave up the ghost, the centurion said, certainly, this is a righteous man. And Pilate knew it. Pilate knew he's innocent. He kept trying to set him free. Pilate finally had to say, I find no fault in him. And he wasn't the only one, if they're being honest, had to say, I find no fault in him. The Pharisees couldn't find any fault in him. They've been trying for three and a half years. And the only way they could get him to this place where they thought he could be condemned was to find false witnesses who would lie. They couldn't. They never could bring any, any charges against him. Well, then why? With the Lord standing here before Pilate, these chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, these people are coming bringing all these charges against the Lord. Why does he stand there silent? But if that's me, I'd be screaming, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I bet everybody else stood before Pilate was guilty of sin, and they said I didn't do it. <laughs> why didn't the only perfect man who ever lived, why didn't he protest his innocence? Why did he say I didn't do it? Well, I can tell you. Because now he's been made sin for his people. Now, since the sin of his people has been made his, he's guilty. And he's got no defense. He's standing there as the lamb brought before her shears is dumb, is silent. So he opened not his mouth because he'd been made guilty. The sin of God's elect, all the sin that we've committed, just like we looked there at Barabbas, has now been made his. So that he's become guilty of it. The charges are true. Not since he committed them, since we his people did. And he stands there silent because he's the one who must pay the price. He's the only one who can. And now those sins have become his. It's his responsibility to pay the price for those sins and they're his. And he's got to pay the price He's got to give himself to suffer and die so his people can go free. Christ must die. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. It's the only way sinners can be brought to God. So he stayed silent. Alright, thirdly. The nature of man. Now the nature of man is most clearly seen at Calvary. If you look at Calvary, that's where all the attributes of God are on display the most clearly. And that's where the true nature of man is on display most clearly too. When the Son of God did the unimaginable, the Son of God humbled Himself to become flesh so that He could become a man and He could come to save His people from their sins. Do you know how fallen man reacted to that? He put on display His sovereign love, His sovereign grace, His power and willingness to save His people from their sin. You know how fallen man reacted to that? Verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Now this is how man by nature reacts to Christ the sovereign Savior of sinners. Destroy Him. Destroy him. It sounds worse than killing, doesn't it? 
destroy him, obliterate him. And Pilate gives them the choice. This was their, the custom at this time of year that when the Passover was come. He gave them a choice. I'm going to release to you a prisoner. Whoever you would. A prisoner of Rome. Maybe somebody they felt like Roman in prison wrongly or somebody they liked or whatever. He would release one prisoner to them. That was their custom. And Pilate gives them a choice. Do you want Barabbas, this notable criminal, walking free in your society? Or would you rather have Jesus, the prophet and the teacher and the healer, walking around in your society? You choose. Fallen nature said, give us Barabbas. Verse 21. The governor answered and said unto them, Whither of the twain will you that I release unto you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with, with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. Destroy him because it's easier for us to deal with Barabbas, the notable criminal, than it is for Christ, the sovereign Savior of sinners. That's man's nature. That's the nature all of us are born with. And I'll show you how unafraid that they were to say that. Look at verse 25. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and our children and our children they were so unafraid they said if this is wrong let his blood be on us and brother it has been that nation has been in judicial blindness ever since see this is the nature of man we looked at the, the nature of Christ that in him was no sin well man is just the opposite in us all there is is sin <laughs> There is no righteousness. There is no goodness. There is no holiness. When I say that man is all sin, this is what I mean, all sin. It's not just that we do some things wrong and some things good. Our every thought is sin. Our every deed is sin. The motive behind everything, that why we do what we do is controlled by sin. And that means the nature of man hates Christ. The nature of man hates. Now, they don't hate the Jesus that they made up, but they hate the, the Jesus of this book, the sovereign Savior of sinners. And look at Luke chapter 23. I'll show you that. I'm not taking this too far now. Luke chapter 23. I don't think you can, you can take it too far when you talk about the, the depths of the depravity of our human nature. Our will is to hate the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25 of Luke chapter 23. And he released unto and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison whom they desired. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And what followed is man's will. To torture and crucify to get do everything that we can do to destroy and get rid of this sovereign Savior of sinners. Mm. That's our nature. 
Would you save somebody like that? Huh? Would you sacrifice one of your children to save somebody like that? Aren't you glad God's not like us? Because Christ still, after all this, that they, he never called those 12 legions of angels to put a stop to it. He went forward. And here's the result of his sacrifice. Verse 26, back in Matthew 27. Then released he Barabbas unto them. Barabbas was set free. And when he had scourged Jesus, and this, now he scourged this man. This man, he said, I find no fault in him. He's innocent. Pilate scourged him anyway. And then delivered him to be crucified. Now the Lord Jesus Christ took the place of Barabbas. Barabbas was con- condemned to die, and the Lord Jesus took his place. And Barabbas, the notable criminal, went scot-free. You notice they didn't scourge Barabbas and then release him. He was released as is, free. And Christ was the one that was scourged. And that's the result of Christ's sacrifice for all of his people. Every last one of them is set free. But they're set free now in justice because the substitute took their place. See, God saves sinners by substitution. It's no accident that that this scene we have before us, the the crucifixion and death of our Savior, is happening at the time of the Passover. This was an annual thing that they observed every year. And the Passover is another picture of substitution, isn't it? You remember the very first Passover? The children of Israel were, were slaves in Egypt. And God said, I'm coming through the land tonight. I'm dispensing justice tonight. Every firstborn in the land is going to die except where the blood of the lamb has been put on the doorpost. The firstborn lived where the lamb had died. That lamb died so the firstborn could live. That substitution. That was the very first Passover. I'm sure that they had completely forgotten that. But that's what they were celebrating on this weekend. The Passover. Substitution. The firstborn lived because the lamb died in his place. This is the last Passover. The last Passover. Christ our Passover is being sacrificed as a substitute for his people so his people would go free. Now the picture has been fulfilled. The picture that Moses gave back there in Egypt is now fulfilled on Calvary's tree. Christ our Passover sacrificed for us and his people go free because the substitute died in our place. And it's important to remember this. Christ is the substitute for sinners. He didn't die as a substitute for all mankind. If he did, all mankind would be saved. Christ died as a substitute for sinners. Who went free in our text? Barabbas, the notable criminal. Christ died for sinners. Notable sinners so that those sinners would have life and go free. Now I don't know where this custom started. Where they would release a prisoner at the Passover. I read some about it. Some people think it was kind of Rome's way of kind of trying to appease the the Jews and appease people, you know, under their authority or whatever. I don't know when it started, but I know why it started. It started for this Passover, this Passover. So we'd have this clear picture of salvation in Christ, the sinner substitute. God arranged that so we'd have this picture. 
And can't you imagine old Barabbas? I can picture how his day started, can't you? He's laid up, he's laid on a cold, dark, damp floor, tied up, laying there helpless. He probably hadn't slept much. I mean, it's probably hard to sleep when you're all tied up, you know. But also, thinking about what's going to happen to him the next day. He probably couldn't sleep much. Crucifixion was not a quick execution. Oftentimes, the person, the victim, would suffer for days, days, dying a slow, painful death. And that crowd outside was so bloodthirsty. It was a much bigger crowd, I would imagine, than normal time of the Passover. Everybody's coming to, coming to Jerusalem. Everybody. Just a few days ago, they're throwing the palm leaves out before the Lord saying, Hosanna, hail the King of the Jews. And now, all those same people are crying, crucifying. Big crowd. Now, all that Barabbas could hear down there in the dungeon was the cries of the people. The cries of, of that loud, bloodthirsty crowd. He couldn't hear Pilate's questions. All, all Barabbas could hear was, give us Barabbas and crucify him. Barabbas thought that crowd was yelling for his crucifixion, for his death. And there he lays, and he hears the guards walking down the hall. They probably got that Roman body armor on. You know, you see the, the pictures of the keys are rattling on the, the, the jailer's um, chain on his side. Here's that jailer. Put that big old key in. Turn the lock on that big thick oak door. Swings that door open. And that guard's just scowling. Now the guard knows what's going on. And I bet you that guard's upset. He wants to see this man put to death. And now his leader, his captain, whoever was in command over him, told him, you got to go let that old fella go free. That guard didn't like that. His scowl on his face. He gets Barabbas up and he unties him. Looses the chains or ropes, whatever's on him and tells him, get out of here. Go on. You're free. Barabbas thought his ears were playing tricks on him. He said, what'd you say? He said, you heard me. Get out of here. Go free. And Barabbas says, why? He said, you're being released. We're going to crucify Jesus. Now you go on. I got work to do. You know, Barabbas could have written that song. I was guilty with nothing to say. And they were coming to take me away. But then a voice from heaven was heard that said, Let him go. Let him go. Take me instead. Oh, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. I should have been the one hanging there on the cross in disgrace. But Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Those rusty nails, they were meant for me. Oh, but Christ took them. And He let me go free. That's substitution, isn't it? So how does God save sinners? It's by substitution. By Christ taking the place of His people. The innocent takes the place of the guilty. The guilty goes free and the innocent dies. Not exactly. Matter of fact, not at all. Not at all. Remember the gospel is substitution and satisfaction. It would be unjust 
for the guilty to go free, wouldn't it? It would be unjust for the innocent to die. I mean, we already, I showed you, look how wicked a, a judge this Pilate is, scourging a man he knows is innocent. Taking a man he knows is innocent and condemning him to be crucified, that's wicked. But it's just as wicked for the judge to let the guilty go free without paying for his crime. Now, God is a righteous judge, not a wicked judge. He'll never slay the innocent. And he'll never let the guilty go free, ever. God said, I will by no means clear the guilty. By no means. The debt must be paid. Well, then if we're going to be saved by a substitute, God's going to have to make the guilty to be innocent. And he's going to have to make the innocent to be guilty. And slay the guilty instead of the innocent. And that's exactly what he does. When the Father forgives sins, Scripture says he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God saves sinners in justice. In justice. Our God is a just God and a Savior. And that's accomplished through the death of the substitute. The substitute is made guilty. The, in, the guilty is made innocent. And the guilty dies to put away the sin that's been laid upon him. And when the substitute dies, he dies to satisfy God's justice. God's justice demands his people go free. Because the debt's been paid. He demands it. Now I want to show you one more thing here in closing. There's three men that we looked at primarily in this text this morning. There's Brabus, there's our Lord, and there's Pilate. Now there's a great difference between Barabbas and Pilate. Look at verse 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Now, Pilate tried to wash his hands, dipped his hands in some basin of water, you know, made this ceremonial washing. And it shows, I got nothing to do with this. I'm out. I'm innocent from what y'all are doing. Now, I, you, you can only do it by my authority, but I'm innocent of what y'all do. Pilate trying to wash his own hands, trying to cleanse his own self, that didn't work. And he died in his sin and in his rebellion. Barabbas, who did absolutely nothing to cleanse himself, was set free by the blood of Christ, by Christ his substitute. And God saves you and me, that's the way he's going to do it. He's going to do it all by himself. He's going to do it as a substitute, dying for his people to cleanse them from all of their sins. We're not going to help at all. The only way we'll be cleansed is the blood of Christ. And God will set his people free in justice. Janet and I have talked about old Brabus before. Janet asked me one time, do you think Brabus is one of the Lord's own? Well, I don't know. But I sure do hope so, don't you? Can you imagine this old boy getting set free? No, I'm supposed to die this morning. Him getting set free and leaving that place and seeing all the goings on of that day 
and not taking some note of what's going on there at Calvary's tree. He's got some interest to find out who is it that took my place so I could go free. Maybe he went and said, who is that fella on the middle cross? Can somebody tell me? Maybe by that time Peter had come back kind of close. Or John had come back kind of close. And they said, come here, I can tell you. Let me tell you who he is. And we preach the gospel. That's what we're doing, aren't we? If we can find old Barabbas guilty, deserves to die, we can tell him, come here. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about the substitute. This is how God saves sinners. All right. I hope the Lord will bless that too.